Welcome to Tech Talk Online, sponsored by Stratford University. You can listen to Tech Talk Live Saturday mornings from 9 till 10. Find us online at federalnewsradio.com or hear us on the radio in the Washington, D.C. area on the following frequencies, 1500 AM and 1039 FM HD2. We thank you for listening to Tech Talk Radio. Interfacing complete. Please stand by. Now downloading Tech Talk Radio with Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ. Tech Talk Radio, it's technology you can understand. And now here are Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ. Welcome to Tech Talk Radio. We are in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. I'm Dr. Richard Schertz. And I'm Jim Russ. This is an exciting week. On Wednesday is March 14th. And right. that is Pi Day. Mm-hmm. So this whole week, we're going to be celebrating Pi Day. And, of course, that is Pi Day because it's 3.14. Lemon meringue? Yes. Oh, no, the other pie. And, in fact, on Wednesday, I'm getting a pie pan shaped like the letter pie. <laughs> so I'm going to have a pie pie. It's going to be, Only you would do that. It's going to be a wonderful blowout weekend. <laughs> uh, we, we, I'll tell you, you know. Pi Day and St. Patrick's Day all in the day, same week. All in the same week. Now, you know, um, I'm going to talk about how to turn off face recognition on Facebook because they've, they've implemented something where automatically they recognize your face and they tag you on pictures everywhere yeah. where your face comes up. And there may be... Party pictures that you don't want to be tagged on. A situation where you don't want to be exactly, seen, yes. and you, you don't want your employer searching Please on your name and see all Donald things. Trump. Yeah, so I'm I'm going to tell you how to turn off that face recognition. I mean, they're even using Face ID for the airlines check in. Oh, really? That's that's the latest thing. And of course, the California is going to have their own right to repair bill, which means you can repair your cell phone in any shop you want. And of course. Uh, this week, we're going to feature somebody on Profiles in IT, Gerald Anderson Lawson. He was an African-American in Silicon Valley, and he invented the video game cartridge. Wow. So it's uh, quite a big uh, big story, and it's interesting to see the journey that he took to get there. And, of course, it was a huge, huge mailbag. There's a letter in your mailbox. This is like four weeks in a row he hasn't screwed oh, it up. Oh, I'm must telling be, you. Yeah, I, I think he wants a vacation this I think summer. he is afraid that somebody's going to take his job. That uh, could be. We got an email from Mimi in Charlotte, North Carolina. Dear Doc and Jim, I'm tired of buying garage door remotes for everyone in the family. <laughs> is there any way that I can simply use my cell phone to open the garage door? That'd be much Ooh. simpler. Love the show. Mimi in Charlotte, North Carolina. Well, Mimi, there is a very, very easy solution for this. You can get a remote switch that's put in parallel with the garage door button inside the garage that opens and closes it. And this switch is connected to your Wi-Fi network. And you can control that switch with your cell phone. So you can open and close your garage door remotely. Now, I like a particular device. I, I like the Next Garage Door Remote Opener, NEXX Garage remote door opener. It's called the NXG-100. It's $99 on Amazon. And you can activate the garage door using either your next mobile app, or you can give voice commands to Alexa. 
Like I can say, Alexa, open the garage door. Because, you know, there are times when I just don't want to have to walk all the way to the garage to open it up for someone. Or I, you could also connects with uh, Google Assistant. You can also set it up for geofencing. So whenever your cell phone is gets close to the garage, it automatically opens. You don't, so you don't, you know, because the whole problem of having to go up there and push that button, just a lot of work. Now, yeah. you just drive up, it'll open automatically. Boom. It's very nice. It also has remote monitoring it. Have, have you ever left in the morning and say, I wonder if I close the garage door? No. Well, you can check your app, and it will say whether the garage door is open or closed, and you can close it remotely. Or if somebody's visiting the house and they, they you need to open up the garage door for them for some reason, you could open it up and let them in. So this is a very nice device. Next, garage door. It's very easy to set up. It got extremely high ratings. By the way, it also it has a magnetic sensor that you put on the door somewhere, and so it can tell when the door is open or closed. That's how it knows whether the door is open or closed. And you simply take and plug it into the same two electrical outlets that on your garage door opener that that button inside the garage plugs into, and bingo, you're up and running. Mm -hmm. That was a good thought, yes. and, and I'm thinking, after doing all this research for Mimi, I'm getting one. In fact, well, I, you have all the other toys, so why not? In fact, I ordered it in, while I was preparing for the show. It's going to arrive tomorrow. <laughs> you get it on the Amazon? Yeah, I got it on Amazon, of course. And it, uh, so I'm really looking forward to this thing because, oh, the other thing you can set it up to do is that, you know how sometimes people forget to close the garage door at night? Yes. You can program it to automatically close the garage door, say, at 1030 at night if the garage door is open. Oh, wow. So it's all very, uh, very. It's a very nice addition to, and it will work with almost any garage door that that has two contacts for for that button inside the garage. We got an email from Yoel Sarkis. Yoel Sarkis, dear Doctor Richard, I always <laughs> love the show. You guys do a great job and have a lot of information. I heard a lot about mining cryptocurrency like Bitcoin. But I'd like to know more about it. Is it worth it? If so, what hardware do I need? What software do I need? I, I looked them up, and they range from a couple hundred dollars to thousands of dollars for hardware. I'm not sure why. And why are they using video cards to process it and not the processors? Thank you, Yoel Sarkis. Well, Yoel, that's a very good question. I'm going to go into some detail here because a lot of people kind of wanted to get into Bitcoin mining. And um, I'm going to blow through a lot of stuff very quickly, but it's all going to be posted to the website on Monday, techtalkonline.com, and you can go there and you can get a complete rundown. Well, it turns out that Bitcoin mining is a process in which transactions are verified and added to a public ledger known as the blockchain. Uh, and that also means that as you do that verification, uh, new Bitcoins are released to pay the people who verify it, and the verifiers are called miners. Anyone with access to the Internet and a suitable hardware can participate in mining. The mining process involves compiling recent transactions into blocks and trying to solve a computationally difficult puzzle. The participant who solves the puzzle first to place the next block in the blockchain claims the reward. So the faster you compute, the better. The rewards which incentivize mining are both the transaction fees associated with the transaction as, as well as the release of new Bitcoins. Now, the amount of new Bitcoins released each mined block is called the block reward. The block reward has been halved 
every time an additional 210,000 blocks are issued, or roughly every four years. In 2009, the reward was 50 bitcoins for a block. In 2018, it's now 12.5 bitcoins per block, and it will keep decreasing. So that means that mining is less and less, uh, less and less uh, um, profitable. And also, as we go down in time, the, the, the calculations get more robust, and it takes longer and longer and longer to do the verification. Now, in the earliest days, when, the, when it wasn't that computationally uh, um, complex, Bitcoin mining was done with CPUs in a normal desktop computer. Then later on, graphics cards were used because they were much more efficient at processing the kind of algorithms that Bitcoin uses because they were set up for processing images and working on pixels and that and and they were set up for parallel processing that you need for images and that was much more suited for the bitcoin kind of mining so graphic cards were much more energy efficient when they were doing the calculations and so and so graphical processing units became dominant now but mo but now because you have to get super high efficiency uh, application-specific integrated circuits are being used, ASICs. And so now all the top-end uh, pieces of hardware use ASICs. And these ASICs, application-specific integrated circuits, are specifically designed for Bitcoin mining. So they're even more efficient than the graphical, uh, than the graphical processing units. Now, the first ASICs were released in 2013, and they've been improved every year. So, But mining's competitive, and it can only be done profitably with the latest ASICs because the latest ASICs are highly uh, energy efficient, and they calculate very quickly. Now, if you want to build your own miner, if you want to build your own mining hardware, uh, there's a great site, by the way, uh, which is... Um, bitcoinmining.com they got a lot of good information on their bitcoinmining.com so there you know if you want to build your own you can get some asic systems there's there's a good asic miner called the gecko science bitcoin miner and it costs around $49 and it will uh, it will calculate 9.5 giga hashes per second that's how a hash you know, you're calculating hashes in the Bitcoin calculation and how many hashes you can you can calculate per second is the speed. It does 9.5 giga hashes per second, and its power efficiency is 0.33 watts per giga hash. And that's a very important number because if you get a, a mining device which has low power efficiency, the cost for electricity will exceed what you earn in Bitcoin, and that hmm. is the big problem. The cost of electricity is your dominant cost, and it can very frequently cost more than what you're earning in Bitcoin. So you've got to be very, you've got to get the most efficient units. So you can get this, these particular units. They have a USB output, that Gecko Science Bitcoin miner. USB output, you can get a USB a hub. You can plug six or ten of them into that. And then you can attach that hub, that, that USB hub, to a very small Raspberry Pi computer, which is a which is a, a very small computer and it doesn't use much power, and it will run the uh, the mining software, and with that little setup, you could you could actually in a very low cost way get a Bitcoin mining machine up and going. If you go to this site BitcoinMining.com, it'll tell you exactly how to build it. Now, if you're more if you're got now if you want to just buy it, if you want to buy the the biggest and 
baddest machine right out there. <laughs> you could get the Antminer S9. Now, it has a capacity of 13.5 terahashes per second. I mean, that is, that's a thousand times faster than this previous one. Its power efficiency is 0.098 watts per gigahash. It's about three times as efficient as these as the previous ASIC chips. Now, this thing, and it will, and this thing will mine about a third of a Bitcoin per month, but it costs $2,000. Now, you see, here's the thing, a third of a Bitcoin per month. Bitcoins are currently selling for around $9,000. So you could uh, earn about $3,000 a month, but then you'd have to subtract out the cost of power. But this unit costs, uh, you know, a couple of thousand dollars. So you really are going to have to get good hardware if you want to make any money because you've got to be highly power efficient. So you can check those two options out on, on, um, on BitcoinMining.com. Now you have to run software. Now a couple of the most, and the software is actually free, a couple of the most popular software programs are CG Miner and BFG Miner. CG Miner and BFG Miner. Now these are command line programs. Uh, so you you know you have to get, be familiar with you know issuing commands, but they're very efficient and very popular. Now, if you want to have more of a Windows look, a kind of a graphical user interface, you can use Easy Miner, and Easy Miner simply wraps a graphical interface around either CG Miner or BFG Miner, and those are free, and you can run those. Now, what most people do who are just individuals mining. You see, if, if you're mining it all by yourself, it might take you a long time to actually win the, calcu win the, win the pool, win, win, the, you know, win the lottery because you're able to you know, complete the block first. And so what people do when they're in, individual miners, if they don't have thousands of machines, they, they actually join a mining pool with a lot of other people are doing calculations, and then they pool their <coughs> calculations together, then they can do faster calculations, and then every month they just split up the rewards according to how much processing they did. Now, so I would suggest that you join a pool. Now, probably the best decentralized pool is the P2 pool, P number two pool, highly recommended. Other pools that are worth checking out are the BitMinter, the CK pool, Allegius pool, and the Slush pool. So these are all pools that you can join, and I think you're going to want to join a pool unless you have so many machines that, that you can do the calculations every every time. Now, you, now of course, when you do Bitcoin money, you have to earn your Bitcoins. You've got to put them somewhere. So you need a Bitcoin wallet. And uh, probably uh, Copay is a great Bitcoin wallet. So I don't suggest you store your Bitcoin wallets in any of these uh uh, exchange sites because there's been so much uh, fraud on those. You know, I, I think you should store it yourself. And uh, when you set up your Bitcoin wallet, it makes it have two-factor authentication so people don't steal your Bitcoins. And when you're not using your, when you're not calculating Bitcoins, you're not using your wallet, you should just disconnect it from the Internet so nobody has any, right. has any access to it. Now, as far as where's the best place to do Bitcoin mining, remember I said electricity is the big cost. By the way, on that website, there's a little calculator that will calculate whether you're going to make money based on whether you're using electricity. Well, probably the best place to do Bitcoin mining is where the electricity is free. So okay. So you can do that in your, you know, in your bedroom and have your parents pay for it, for instance. Or right. I have to say there are a lot of people who just plug in a computer at work. 
and God. don't say anything. Oh my God! And they and they've just got this little Bitcoin money run, running under their desk. They better hope that they get a lot of bitcoins because when they're found out, yeah, and there, I t- and there, there are a lot of cases where you heard IT guys running Bitcoin mining software in the data center. Oh man, that sounds like buried, a buried in a virtual machine. So this is. So if you want to get the most cost-effective way to do it, that's that's the most cost-effective way to do it, but it's illegal. Yeah. So it turns out that probably the hottest country for Bitcoin mining is Iceland. Really? Because Iceland has cool temperatures because you got to cool you got to cool these processors down. <laughs> it's got cheap geothermal energy so power's dirt cheap up there. Huh. So if you really wanted to get serious about Bitcoin mining, move to Iceland. Now, <laughs> <laughs> sure, why not? Let's upgrade your whole life. Now, Canada is also pretty good, and so there, and also Siberia is very good. So what we're there, and a, you can still call Tech Talk from Siberia that's, that's via right. Skype. You can, and so you see, I mean, it's it's interesting in Siberia. Electricity is relatively cheap, so so you want to go to places where it's cool, so you can cool down your you know your your processors, and where electricity is cheap. Well, that's that's probably all you'd ever want to know about Bitcoin so, mining. <laughs> so you dabble in everything. Have you thought about dabbling in bitcoins? I'm thinking. I'm thinking instead of buying bitcoins, I think I'm going to mine bitcoins. I, I I was looking at this thing because I'm telling you, if if I would get that one two thousand dollar unit, and I was running through the calculations, uh, it it would probably it would probably generate you know a revenue of a couple thousand a month. So I'm thinking, uh, wh- why not give it a shot? I would join a pool. So, so I I would rather do that than buy bitcoins and speculate in bitcoins. I'd rather earn bitcoins. So if you earn the bitcoins, what would you do with them? Well, you would could, you you could sell, you could convert them to cash. You could uh-huh. run, you could go to exchange and sell them, or or you could just hold on to them and hope you could speculate and hope that they go up in value. Mm-hmm. You know, because mm-hmm. they, they they shot up to eighteen thousand and then they dropped right. down to nine thousand. So, but what would you do? Would you would you cash them out or would you just hang on to them? I'd hang on to them. Interesting. I would just hang on to them. And so, actually, after doing all this research on Bitcoin mining, I'm actually well, just, just like that garage door opener. I was gonna I, say, send the doc an email, and he's gonna buy whatever um, you you ask about. I'm thinking of becoming a Bitcoin miner. Yes, indeed. So the next email is about a Tesla, isn't it? I'm kidding. Uh, no, 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 no. We got an email from Knock in Ohio. Uh oh. Uh oh. Dear Tech Doc, I heard that the new Bluetooth standard. Has been released. What does that mean? I love to play music in the basement using my Bluetooth speakers. Uh-huh. Well, of course, I don't know what's going on down uh, there. Where's, where's the cheesy porn I music know. when I need it? Do I have to upgrade any of my devices? Enjoy the show, Knock in Ohio. Well, Knock, modern smartphones and other devices like the iPhone 8, the iPhone 10, the Samsung Galaxy S8, all support Bluetooth 5.0 on their spec list. Bluetooth 5.0 is the latest version of Bluetooth wireless communication standard. It's commonly used for wireless headphones and other audio hardware. Now, the new version of Bluetooth has some improvements that are noteworthy. Number one, the Bluetooth, it has the Bluetooth low energy mode so that it reduces energy consumption for all peripherals. Now, this is really important if you've got, let's say, Bluetooth headphones. Your, your, your battery lasts a lot longer with the in the low energy mode. And the previous versions of Bluetooth did not work with audio headphones. This version, you've got low energy consumption with audio headphones. So that's a real plus. 
The second thing that's really good, it has dual audio output. Version 4.2 of Bluetooth, the, the, the current version before 5, it would only support one headphone or one Bluetooth device. Now mm. you can put two Bluetooth devices on it, so two people can listen to great music with a Bluetooth connection. That is a real, a real advantage. And then it has improved speed and range. Bluetooth 5 will transfer speeds at 2 megabits per second, which is double what Bluetooth 4.2 supports. Devices can also communicate over longer distances. Get this, Bluetooth 5.0 has an 800-foot range, 240 wow. meters. You usually think Bluetooth is just like, you know, 20 feet, but right. this is 800 feet. That's crazy. Which is four times the, 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 the range of Bluetooth 4.2, which is 200 feet. So... Actually, that's so you could actually have Bluetooth speakers over the whole house uh, at that range. Now, of course, Bluetooth range is, is reduced when you go through walls and things just like right. Wi-Fi, but it's, uh, it's, it's always there. Now, of course, Bluetooth is backward compatible with, you know, Bluetooth 4.2 in the earlier version. So you don't have to upgrade all your devices in order to use the Bluetooth. But then at, as you buy new devices, I would suggest you always make certain that they support Bluetooth 5.0. Mm -hmm. Okay, we love, love, love we your emails. Indeed. Email us at techtalk at stratford.edu. We'll get back to you as soon as we can, maybe immediately or maybe at the next show. Very good. It's Saturday morning. You're listening to Tech Talk Radio. This is Federal News Radio, 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD 2, 1039 FM HD 2. On the web at stratford.edu, scroll to the bottom right side of the screen and click on the Tech Talk icon to learn more about the show and to hear all of our previous broadcasts. You can watch us do the show by downloading the Periscope app to your device and following us at WFED Tech Talk. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. Ready to make a real difference in 2018? A degree in cybersecurity, digital forensics, or networking and telecommunications could help you secure your future as you help secure the world. Stratford University is now enrolling for career-focused IT degree programs on campus and online. Let Stratford's experienced IT faculty share their industry knowledge and practical solutions to help you succeed in today's most sought-after IT fields with accelerated classes and year-round program starts to help you earn your degree faster with demand at record high levels for cybersecurity, digital forensics, and networking telecommunications careers. Now is the time to act. Stratford makes it easy, turning your qualified experience into credits earned, and if you're a vet, they'll help you maximize your military benefits. Get complete details and register today at stratford.edu slash 18IT. That's stratford.edu slash 18IT. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge of Stratford University talking technology. And now it is time for... Profiles in IT. Woo, right on the money. Telling you. Today we're going to feature Gerald Anderson Lawson. Gerald Anderson Lawson, as friends called him Larry, was an African... I'd go Jerry. 
Jerry, I mean, Jerry. Yeah, Jerry. <laughs> oh, it was Jerry. It was Jerry, yeah. It was Jerry. I've, I've got... Um, you got Larry on the brain. I got something. Larry on the brain. Yeah, his friends called him Jerry for Gerald. He was an African-American electronic engineer best known for creating the Fairchild game console and the video game cartridge, which at its time was a major breakthrough. Lawson was born in Brooklyn, New York City on December 1st, 1940. His mom really focused on his education. She got him to an elementary school in another part of the city that she felt was a better educational environment for him, one that was prominently white, if I can say that, and, mm -hmm. and she at, was actively involved in his education. So she was really focused on him achieving something with his life, and she basically instilled in him a growth mindset that he could do anything. And he had a great first-grade teacher. His first-grade teacher had a similar belief that Jerry could do anything. And his first-grade teacher gave him a picture of George Washington Carver, who was a black inventor mm -hmm. who was born into slavery. And she said, Jerry, you can do exactly what George Washington Carver did. You can achieve things and you can invent. And so he had this picture of George Washington Carver on his right by his desk at home, and that was his inspiration for actually striving to learn and to do things significant. And he loved to tinker around. He had a he had an amateur radio station that he built. He built the hardware. Now he was living in the projects in New York, which was the low-income housing. He built his own ham radio station in the projects. He hung the antenna out the window. <laughs> he got his own he got his own amateur radio license and he actually was running a radio station right out of the projects. <laughs> Great idea. I mean this this was this was like a young boy and and this was because his first grade teacher and his mother and his father all believed in him. Mm-hmm. And he believed in himself. I think there's something about... There is. There's something about, you know, having people who believe in you that mm -hmm. actually changes the trajectory that young people go. Agreed. There's, there's a lesson to be learned here. Uh, he's, he also he got, was really interested in electronics. He spent his teenage years repairing electronics all over the city. So he earned, <laughs> he earned money by fixing radios, fixing TVs all over the city. And the, the thing is, what's amazing, he taught himself everything he knew about engineering. He just got books and just learned it himself. He did attend Queens College and the City College of New York, but he never finished his degree because he was always tinkering on stuff, and he just felt this academia was just not relevant. So uh, he ended up, after learning all of his engineering stuff and building all of this electronics, he ended up getting a, a, a job at Grumman Electric, he later got a job at Federal Aircraft, and they were, they were working on federal contracts. And then finally, he landed a job with Kaiser Electronics out in Silicon Valley, and he moved to Silicon Valley. Once he got in Silicon Valley, in 1970, he joined Fairchild Semiconductors. This was one of the, you know, the premier developers of, uh, you know, of silicon integrated circuits and mm -hmm. you know the people at fairchild were precursor to what happened at intel this this one of the hotbeds of, of innovation there and so he he was hired by fairchild semiconductor in san francisco he was hired as an applications engineering consultant within the sales division so so you see he really didn't have a technical job 
But what he did, he went to his garage and he built out of in his garage out of electronics that he just scrounged an early arcade game called Demolition Derby. <laughs> he built this in his garage. He showed it to the guys there at Fairchild, and uh, and they were impressed. in In the mid seventies, I mean, this was about four years after he had first was first hired at by Fairchild. They made him chief hardware engineer and director of engineering and marketing for Fairchild's video game division. Wow! In other words, he created the video game division at Fairchild mm-hmm. just with this little project in the um, you know that he did in the uh, in the garage. And this gets back again to this mindset. He believed he could do anything. He wanted to do that. He didn't wait for the guys at Fairchild to give a job and he applies for it. No, he just built the video game in his garage and then showed it to them and created the division. I think it's, I'm just really impressed with Jerry. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he's, uh, so he was, uh, he led the development of the Fairchild Channel F console that was released in 1976. Now, at that time, all the game consoles, they, they loaded the game on read-only memory, and the read-only memory, the ROM, was soldered in place. So if you'd buy a game console, you could only play one game. So you'd have to buy a different console for every game. He got the idea. He said, why can't we put the read-only memory and put it into a cartridge? So if you want to play a different game, you just stick in a different cartridge, you get a different game. So he invented the game cartridge, and this was like a... This is like a revolutionary idea at the time. In fact, the FCC, I mean, it was so revolutionary that the FCC couldn't quite figure it out because they, the, <laughs> the FCC always required that you have to do RF measurements of all your hardware to make certain that you're not doing RF interference for other electronics. Mm-hmm. And so they treated every single game cartridge as another piece of electronics because it actually had ROM in it that was plugged in. And so he had to actually get an FCC certification for every every one of these game cartridges because they just didn't really understand it, as opposed to getting approval for just the game console itself. Uh, but eventually, the FCC figured it out, and they just let they they you didn't have to get FCC approval for the game cartridge. Now the Channel F was not really commercially successful, but the cartridge was a innovative approach was picked up by others. In particular, it was picked up by Atari, and the Atari 2600 that was released in 1977 had the game cartridge. Now, while he was with Fairchild, Lawson and Ron Jones were the sole black members of the Homebrew Computer Club. Remember, the Homebrew Computer Club is the club that Steve Jobs belonged to, Steve Wozniak, and this is where all these hackers were like making early early computers, and he was in with these innovators. So he was one of the first African-American in the heart of Silicon Valley doing technical work. This, I mean, this is an amazing story, I think, when I, when I was reading about him. Um, he, um, he, he, he then eventually, uh, he, he formed this one company. Yeah, he left Fairchild. Oh, oh, I just got one more thing I had to say. He said while he was at Fairchild, he interviewed... Steve Wozniak. Steve Wozniak got oh, yeah. a job. He interviewed Steve Wozniak for a job at Fairfield, for a job at Fairfield, but didn't hire him. <laughs> Funny. <laughs> now, now eventually uh, Fairchild got out of the business because their game console just wasn't really successful. I mean, they they were more into defense contracting and semiconductors. It wasn't their core business. 
So he, he left Fairchild, started his own company called Videosoft, where he wrote software for other game consoles. In fact, he, he was writing software for the Atari 2600. But after five years, that, that company folded, and then he started doing consulting work. I mean, one of his consulting projects was he was working for Stevie Wonder <laughs> to produce the Wonder Clock. <laughs> and then the Wonder Clock, what it would do, it would wake up kids in the morning with the sound of their parents saying, hey, it's time to get up. So you'd record your voice, and then the child would hear the parent telling them to wake up. That's pretty fun. I figured yeah. it would be a Stevie Wonder song. That's that's what I thought at first, but it was really the sound of the <laughs> I'd parents. go for the Stevie Wonder song. Now, Lawson later worked for the Stanford Mentor Program because he wanted to inspire other young people to enter technology, and he started working on a book. Now, on March 11th, on March 2011, he was honored as an industry pioneer for his work on the game cartridge concept by the International Game Developers Association. Around um, uh, 2013, uh, he died of complications of diabetes after a very eventful and productive life. Yeah, really. So there you go. Everything you want to know about Gerald Anderson, lawyer. That is really interesting stuff, and I hope yeah. you were paying attention to what Dr. Schertz was saying because your knowledge, your memory could win you free lunch by playing the pop quiz coming up here on Tech Talk Radio, Federal News Radio, 1500 AM, 103.5 FM HD2, 103.9 FM HD2, on the web at federalnewsradio.com and stratford.edu. Go to the bottom of the Stratford page. Look on the right side at the bottom for the Tech Talk icon. You can learn more about us and, and listen to all of our shows there. Watch us do the program. Download the Periscope app to your device and follow us at WFED Tech Talk. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. Ready to make a real difference in 2018? A degree in cybersecurity, digital forensics, or networking and telecommunications could help you secure your future as you help secure the world. Stratford University is now enrolling for career-focused IT degree programs on campus and online. Let Stratford's experienced IT faculty share their industry knowledge and practical solutions to help you succeed in today's most sought-after IT fields with accelerated classes and year-round program starts to help you earn your degree faster with demand at record high levels for cybersecurity, digital forensics, and networking telecommunications careers. Now is the time to act. Stratford makes it easy, turning your qualified experience into credits earned, and if you're a vet, they'll help you maximize your military benefits. Get complete details and register today at stratford.edu slash 18IT. That's stratford.edu slash 18IT. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Live from Washington, it's the Stratford University Pop Quiz with Andrew Mitchell, Jim Russ, Featuring Mr. Big Voice. With musical guest, the Stratford University Junkyard Band. And your host, Dr. Richard Schertz. 
Yes, thank you, thank you, thank you. Please sit down. Please keep it under control. Thank you, thank you. You're going to get a pie in the face oh, if you don't sit down. Oh, my goodness. Oh, you know, we, we should have brought, brought, brought pie. We should have brought the pie. We should have brought pie. I've got pie pie on Wednesday. I should have brought my pie <laughs> pie today. Should have. Yeah, well, this, of course, is Classroom of the Airways, and that we're going to test with you. have been listening to Tech Talk with a pop quiz. And if you get the right answer to the pop quiz, you'll get an A-plus for today's show. Plus, tickets to fine dining at one of the Stratford University dining rooms. Earlier in the show, I talked about Gerald Anderson Lawson. He was the African-American electronic engineer best known for creating the Fairchild game console and the revolutionary video game cartridge. Who was the inspiration that Gerald Anderson Lawson used as he was beginning his career? If you know the answer to the question, please pick up your phone or other device and dial us now. If you're calling from west of the Rockies, it's 877-936-9333. Calling from east of Playa del Shirts, Virginia, it's 877-936-9333. If you're listening on your ham radio in Canada, <laughs> call us on the wildcard line, 877-936-9333. The international line is back. It's 877-9-3639-333. And if you're calling in from your Bitcoin mining farm in Iceland, or you can... What about Siberia? Or Siberia, you can reach us on Skype. Simply connect to Tech Talk Radio 1 and your call will be forwarded to the studio free of charge. And Mitchell, our adjunct professor for prize distribution and crowd control is standing by to take your call, so dial now. You know, uh, there were pictures of people that had set up Bitcoin mining farms in Iceland, and they get these uh, they get these storage pods, you know. And <laughs> so, so they feel like uh, in the in the pod, it's like yeah, a temporary shelter right. sort and, of and deal. So there are all these people have all these storage pods in in the back of their house, <laughs> and the place just looks like clutter everywhere. So that's what happens when well, Bitcoin miners move in. If you do that in a colder environment, then, you know, it cuts the power it situation. Cuts, it cuts you know? them because they can just circulate cool air through there to, you know, to, to, to cool off you the You won't have to worry about the computers freezing. And then they just use geothermal energy, and the power is really dirt cheap. And so, <laughs> But you've got to live in Iceland. But I'll tell you, there are some communities in Iceland that really are beginning to look junky because all these people setting up Bitcoin. I wonder if people actually live in those pod things. I, I don't think they listen. I think I think just computers bet, and maybe I'm, people could live go in them. I'm going to go check okay. that out while you're talking about something. Now, here. Pi Day, of course, is going to be March 14th, and it's Pi Day because that's three one four, right? Which is the first three digits of uh, Pi. Now, the earliest known official. Large-scale celebration of Pi Day was organized by Larry Shaw in 1988 in the San Francisco Explorium, where Shaw worked as a physicist. And the public and staff walked around one of the circular spaces consuming fruit pies. That was, <laughs> that was the first Pi Day celebration. Now the Exploratorium continues to hold Pi Day celebrations. Now, on Mar now of course... The House of Representatives is never uh, to be undone because we yeah. always move important stuff through Congress. On March 12, 2009, the U.S. House of Representatives passed a non-binding resolution recognizing March 14th as National Pi Day. Congress always steps in for the action. Now, in the year 2015, Pi Day had very big significance because 15, 2015, 
the date was 3.14, March 14th, 15. That's the first five digits of pi, and that only happens once every, every, every century. And it turned out that the next few digits of pi were 926, which, of course, would be 9, 9 o'clock, 26 minutes after 9, 53. So the pi second of that day occurred during Tech Talk because 3... That's right. 314.15 occurred on Saturday, so we had a huge celebration did, back in 2015. We did, but there was no pie. There was no pie, and I should have had a pie pie you that should day. have. I know, but that was... And that's not going to happen until, you know, until the next century, but... So it, we aren't going to be around for that. And and in the next century, it's not probably going to be on Saturday. Now, the next time that Pie Day occurs on Saturday, I mean, that might not be for another 900 years. Right, exactly. We definitely won't be around. We'll have to be cryogenically frozen and brought back so we could have your Pie Day pie. Now, the next time that Pie Day occurs on Saturday, though, will be 2020. But it won't uh, be. But it won't be. It won't be. And you know what? We'll forget the pie then, too. Who probably will. <laughs> now, NASA has a pie day challenge. I always like that what NASA's got a lot of stuff going on pie day. There are 20 illustrated math challenges from the pie in the sky series uh-huh. where you do where you do astro, you know astronomical calculations that re- require a pie. It's called pie in the sky. So you can you can go to the uh, celebrate Pi Day with NASA. Just search, just Google it. Celebrate Pi Day with NASA. You'll come up with all the different events. The page also includes a lot of curriculum suggestions for K through 12 educators. But you know the thing that I love most about Pi Day are the songs. Yes, you do. Let's let's let's. It let's, certainly isn't Pi because you don't yeah, bring that no, in. No, no. Let's no. let's let's hear one of the fun let's hear Pi this, days. This is the one that this is Casey Kasem topping the Pi okay. Day charts. Okay. Wait a minute. Start. Playing. Where did it go? It's Mr. Here. Big Voice. Let's Hang go. On. There it goes. Give him a break. Okay. They said, would I, you I'm like frightened. Some pie? I said, yes, I would. <laughs> I forgot they majored in math. I would undo it if I could. They said 3.14159265358979323843. We get the idea. Now, this don't, is a good don't, don't hum. Okay. Don't hum. Right. Don't sing. I said, yes, I would. He's dancing. He's really into this. Okay. Enough of that. Enough of that. Okay. Now, this is my favorite this, pie song. This one. This one. No, we, no, no. I'm going to sing one. Oh, God, no. Ode to Pie. Oh, boy. Now, this is from the tune of Old Tannenbaum. Okay. I'm going to try this. I've, I've been practicing all week. <laughs> oh, number pi, oh, number pi, your digits are unending. Oh, number pi, oh, number pi, no pattern you are sending. You're 3.14159, and even more if we had time. Oh, number pi, oh, number pi, your ratio's mind-bending. You must be a lot of fun around Christmas. <laughs> Were you ever in a barbershop quartet? No, not Good. really. Good, I'm glad. <laughs> we, uh, I think we need to cleanse our audio okay. palettes and play this. This is a big fa- this long, is a fan favorite. Long, oh, yes. Time ago, <laughs> long before the Super Bowl and things like lemonade, <laughs> the Hellenic Republic was full of smarts. And a question resting on the Grecian hearts was what is the circumference of a circle? <laughs> But they were set on rational numbers and it ranks. We'll get to the hook here and then we'll bail out on this. They worked on it for years. Come on, let's do it. Confirmed one of their biggest fears. 
I can't be certain if they cried when irrationality was realized. But something deep within them died the day they discovered pie. We're, well, we're going here. Here we go. Thinking pie, pie, <laughs> mathematical pie, 3.14159. All right. Why don't you get into the history of pie? Oh, that just ended kind of like out of the blue yeah, there. Go ahead. What, what All right, history there? of pie. Okay, let's talk a little bit about the history of pie. Of course, pie, it's demonstrated by the Greek letter pi, <laughs> and it's a symbol used to represent a constant, which is the ratio of the circumference of a circle to its diameter, and it's approximately 3.14159. It's an <laughs> irrational number. Now, what does that mean? It means that you can't represent it. makes bad it, choices? No, as a fraction. It cannot be represented as a fraction. <laughs> It could mean that, but it doesn't. <laughs> it cannot be represented as a fraction, and if you represent it as a digital, as, as a decimal number, it there are no patterns that repeat. It just keeps going on and on and on and never repeats itself. That is an irrational number. The Greeks could not accept irrationality. That's why they were so upset when they couldn't figure it out. Mm -hmm. So the mathematician Archimedes, you you know, was trying to calculate pi. So what it is, he, he would take a polygon, which had flat sides. He put one inside the circle and one outside the circle. And then he would calculate the circumference of the polygon, which you could do with just regular, you know, plain geometry for the one on the inside and the one on the outside. And so then he could he could get a range for what the pi value was. And he estimated that pi was equal to 22 over 7. Ah. Still hoping that it would be rational, but it was irrational. Now, the symbol pi was first used in 1706 by William Jones because P stood for parameter of the circle, and it became popular after it was adopted by the Swiss mathematician Euler in 1737. Now, in recent years, pi has been calculated to over a trillion digits in terms of decimals. Wow. Crazy. That is it. Guess what? After okay. all that, we have Woo! we have to play our quiz. Yes. I know it's almost Sunday. Oh, my but goodness. Here we go. All yes. right, let's go to line one. This is Jamie, who <laughs> luckily is not calling us from Siberia. Jamie, are you there? Yeah, it's still cold out. It's cold, and it'll be a long-distance call, and we had you on. Yes, okay. That's right. You're calling from Catonsville. Yeah, thanks for taking my call. You bet. Well, thanks for calling in. Yes. So, uh, early in the show, we talked about Gerald Anderson Lawson. Who inspired him to become, you know, the best that he could be? I, uh, after a few, uh, George Washington Carver. That That's is right. correct. After intense review. Jamie, correct. thank you for listening up there in Baltimore. Hang on a second. <laughs> We're going to put you on hold, and Andrew's going to take your information, and we will get your uh, prize right on out, too. It is Saturday morning, and you are listening to Tech Talk Radio on Federal <laughs> News Radio, 1500 AM. He's back. Look at that. 103.5 FMH2. Oh, Jamie, hang on a second there. Wait a minute. Why can't I get you on hold? Let's try that. All right. There we go. Okay. Uh, where are we? We're on Tech Talk Radio, 1500, 103.5 FMH2 and 103.9 FMH2. I'm losing my mind. All these numbers we'll see in a minute. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment.
Ready to make a real difference in 2018? A degree in cybersecurity, digital forensics, or networking and telecommunications could help you secure your future as you help secure the world. Stratford University is now enrolling for career-focused IT degree programs on campus and online. Let Stratford's experienced IT faculty share their industry knowledge and practical solutions to help you succeed in today's most sought-after IT fields with accelerated classes and year-round program starts to help you earn your degree faster with demand at record high levels for cybersecurity, digital forensics, and networking telecommunications careers. Now is the time to act. Stratford makes it easy, turning your qualified experience into credits earned, and if you're a vet, they'll help you maximize your military benefits. Get complete details and register today at stratford.edu slash 18IT. That's stratford.edu slash 18IT. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software. The well, that shouldn't have happened. <laughs> I have no yeah, idea I don't know what, what is going oh, on. Oh, look at that. Somebody, somebody built the show wrong in the computer. Aha. Uh -huh. Not us. Not new, no, not our fault. So we're just gonna we're just gonna muddle on here. Yes, indeed. Now let's talk about the Japanese man who memorized one hundred and eleven thousand digits of pi. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine doing that? No, I think I have a lot of now. Other people have enjoyed memorizing pi since the beginning of the nineteenth century. Back then, uh, pi was only a few hundred digits, so it was you know fairly easy to do. But since then. Computers have been calculating more and more digits each year. Now they've calculated up to, uh, you know, a million digits, a uh, trillion digits. Now, the world champion is Akira Haraguchi. There's a prize for this? Who in 2006 recited 100,000 digits of pi from memory Jeez. at a public event in Tokyo. It took him 16 hours and 30 minutes. Good Lord. This feat makes him the master pie man. <laughs> Now, but the Guinness Book of Records did not validate his record. And they still are showing another guy that had done only 67,000 digits. Mm -hmm. Now, since then... Only 67,000. Haraguchi has memorized 111,700 digits. Now, pi memorization is difficult. If you can imagine, can you rem imagine memorizing 111,000 no, digits? No, I can't imagine memorizing It's fairly 15. difficult. Now, what he does, he associates each digit with a symbol. Uh, for example, zero could be read as o ra re ru re ro wu. I'm and so already he, lost. And so he he each number has a phonetic representation. Then what he does using this phonetic representation, he builds stories. <laughs> and so he builds stories, and as he's telling the story, the story actually has embedded in it. The digits of pi, and I'll, so and so he can write down pi. I'll bet he dances to the pi song too. Uh, <laughs> he could be doing that. <laughs> now that's the only way that he could do it. So he has these long stories. To him, reciting pi digits has the same meaning as chant. He's a Buddhist. The same meaning as chanting Buddha mantras or meditation. <laughs> now he's actually trying to you know to do pi recitation every day. He spends. His goal is to is to recite twenty five thousand digits of pi every day. It takes him about three hours. Hmm. It's, a, it's a form of meditation, according to Zen Buddhism teachings. Everything that exists in the world, the mountains, the rivers, and all living creatures, carries the spirit of Buddha. And he believes that pi, in particular, carries the spirit of Buddha. Huh. So he wants to devote his life to learning all the digits of pi. 
Now here, there's not a big paycheck in that. There's not a big paycheck, and it, 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 it's, it didn't even, I mean, the the only thing is being recognized by Guinness Book of Records, and they then they wouldn't recognize it for some reason. <laughs> so now here's the tip of the week. Okay, don't memorize pie. No, that's not that's oh, not sorry. it. That is no. Here's the tip of the week. Cell phone addiction has become a huge problem, yeah. and one of the biggest problems is notifications. So what you want to do to keep your cell phone from, like, drawing you back all the time so you can't get away from it, turn off notifications. You want to turn off all sound notifications. You want to turn off badge notifications. Like, for instance, isn't it you, you look at your cell phone and you see unread e that little red dot that says mm -hmm. unread emails? It's like, oh, i got to make that go away. Turn that off. Right. You can just turn off the badge notifications, and then you don't see unread emails. You can turn off any screen notifications, and you'll be set free. Free this, at last. This is the tip of the week. You know, I saw the dumbest thing on TV this morning before I came in here, and it was somebody who has come up with a—it's a, a little sack mm -hmm. with a drawstring on the top, and they call it a sleeping bag. For you. I mean, come <laughs> on, people. Wow. You have to buy a bag to put your cell phone in, not to use it. Oh, my goodness. Uh, that is ridiculous. Now, let's talk about face recognition. Um, mm -hmm. Facebook has turned on recently this automatic face recognition by default so that any photo that comes up, and if your face shows up, it's going to tag you automatically whether you ask it or not. And, uh, and they said, well, this is really designed to make it easier for people. But actually, it, uh, it, is, uh, it means that you're going to be tagged on photos that you may not want to be tagged. And I actually think you're better off not having face recognition on everything because you don't know where your picture is going to show up. So you can turn off this automatic face recognition. They do give you that option. The problem is that Facebook did. They turned it on by default for everyone. Oh, so you want to go to settings on, on your Facebook account and click on face recognition. And, and you'll have a question, yes or no, and just say no. And once you turn it off, then you won't automatically have face recognition spreading spreading across everyone. Because, um, you know, Facebook is some way going to make money out of this. And I don't know what they're going to do, but I would just not let them do face recognition at all mm -hmm. across the board. Now, face recognition has become extremely successful after Apple pioneered it. Now people are picking it up. The aviation industry is really following suit with that. British Airways is expanding its trial face recognition as a replacement for boarding passes, and they say the experience is great. Now, similar to facial recognition that's built into mobile phones, the biometric e-gates use a high-definition camera technology, and they allow customers just to pass through, and it recognizes their face, matches them with their passport or their visa or their immigration photos. Customer, and, the, and people loved it on British Airlines. Customers in Orlando who are flying British Air, um, uh, from La, and, as well as customers who are flying British Air from Los Angeles, both have been praising the system. British Air has been using it since November of 2017. The gates at the Los Angeles airport used by British Airways have resulted in airline boarding more than 400 customers in only 22 minutes. That's half the time that it usually takes using regular boarding passes. The company's also testing face recognition as a way for arriving passengers to skip the fingerprinting process in immigration at Miami and New York's JFK. 
which is actually pretty nice. JetBlue and Delta are trialing face recognition systems. I think it's going to make the airport experience much, much more pleasant. Excellent. California is pioneering a right-to-repair bill. Now, this is right in Apple's home state, and Apple doesn't like the right-to-repair. California is the 18th state in the U.S. to look into the possibility of making electronic devices easier to repair. The Right-to-Repair Act would compel tech companies to release their repair guides and make official parts available to any customer or third-party repair shop who wants to use them. The Right to Repair Act will provide customers with freedom to have their electronic products and appliances fixed by any repair shop that has the authorization from Apple or the provider or from the uh, the you know you know the electronics uh, device provider. Apple, as you might expect, is not in favor of the right to repair because they make a lot of money on these repairs and mm-hmm. they want to control it. Records show that Apple has spent a lot of money lobbying against it and under Tim Cook's leadership, Apple has actually doubled their lobbying efforts against this. Previously, Apple delegates opposed the proposed right to repair bill in Nebraska, saying that users that, it, that giving users and third-party repairs access to its components and service manuals would make Nebraska become a mecca of bad actors. <laughs> a mecca of bad actors. And this, of course, is after Apple slowed down the devices right. to force people to uh, to upgrade and there's I think there's a lot of emphasis here because the third party repairs are just going to say hey you, you need a new battery and they're mm-hmm. not going to force an upgrade. So I think we're going to see this right to repair and that's going to allow people to get their devices you know get their devices repaired wherever they want to, yeah. Listen the fusion Oh, I don't think we got No, probably not. Listen, we love, love, love your emails. Email us at techtalk at stratford.edu. And then we'd like you to go to the Stratford University website, and that, of course, is at stratford.edu. Check out those programs, whether they're healthcare or culinary arts, hospitality, software engineering, information systems, uh, nursing, health sciences, you know, business. Uh, And then tell them that you heard about those programs on Tech Talk Radio. Tech Talk Radio is sponsored by Stratford University. For more information on courses at Stratford University, call 1-800-444-0804. Thanks for listening to Tech Talk Radio Online.